If green is your favorite color or your way of living, then Grounded is the place for you. From big environmental solutions to your own backyard, wherever in the universe you may be, join me, Melanie Walker, on a journey to a cleaner, greener life. Grounded, your window on the environment. And welcome to yet another edition of Grounded, the place where you can find out everything you need to be green. And when we say green, we're not just talking about gardening. We also talk about being green in the environment. Now, we talk about plants. We talk about recycling quite a lot because those are things that concern us as human beings in our everyday lives when it comes to our houses. And how many of you have actually got animals in your house? And we do think about the wildlife that goes into our gardens as well. But we need to be looking at the bigger picture. We need to be looking more environmentally, internationally, because what affects people in other countries will ultimately affect us one day as well. When it comes to animals, there's lots of charities. We all know about the disastrous things that are happening with rhino poaching, elephants, pangolins, all kinds of creatures, especially here in Africa, which concerns us as Africans ourselves. But who's doing what about it? We see a lot of stuff that's happening. We want to know who's doing what internationally. So speaking to us today, for the greater good of animals around the world, not just at home, we have the executive director of two international charities, David Barrett. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, Melanie. Okay, so tell me, first of all, the two different charities. You've got Animal Survival International and you have the Network for Animals. What is the difference between the two? Network for Animals focuses on direct aid to domestic animals, mostly donkeys, cats and donkeys. We're there on the ground with spay and neuter programs. We work in very difficult and dangerous places in South Africa. We go into the townships where lots of people fear to go because of the danger, but those are the places that animals need the most hope. The shocking, massive amount of neglect in the townships is a cause for massive concern. And then we care about donkeys. Donkeys are a vital part of the landscape for the environment in Africa. They're used by rural people as beasts of burden. They're used to draw the water from the river to carry firewood to take the kids to school. And they're being wiped out at such an astonishing rate that they could all be gone. Uh, And there are some 42 million in the world. They could all be gone in five or 10 years because huge demand from China for donkey skins that they make into a fake cosmetic called Ijayo. And uh, we're very active in trying to prevent that kind of thing happening. We just had a big win in Tanzania when, as a result of our work, they not only closed down a donkey slaughterhouse that had a permit to kill 20 donkeys a a day and that were killing 10,000 a month, they actually closed down all donkey slaughtering in Tanzania. And then with cats, cats are a, a difficult creature to care for because they are so self-contained and give the impression of not needing us as much but cats they breed so quickly and in we often work in places where you wouldn't think we'd need to work for example in greece in the summer cats have a wonderful time the tourists are there they all get fed from as the tourists cast off their scraps from their tables and the restaurant owners feed them but in winter these cats starve 
and reproduce crazily. So we run spay and neuter programs there. So that's network for animals, direct intervention on the ground, at the sharp end, doing our best to give instant help then and there. I'm quite shocked to hear about the donkeys, though. I, didn't, I mean, how many people actually even knew about that or know about what's happening? Because I'm a big donkey fan. I love them. I love little neddies. I think there's, I'd love to have my own one as well and look after it because I find them incredibly intelligent and sweet. But really, they're making the stuff from donkey skins in China? It is the most appalling tragedy for animals, really, that what's happening to donkey populations in Africa is a disaster for animals and for the human communities that depend on donkeys. So the story is it's all run by Chinese syndicates, and they're very, very well organized. And they go into cities and countries where perhaps oversight is not as good as it should be. In fact, I'm being mealy-mouthed. The truth is they go into places, make deals with governments, and then break the rules immediately, which is what happens in Tanzania. And they need two million donkey skins a year for the current Ijayo markets in China. And at that rate, you can work, do the maths yourselves. There are 42 million donkeys, 2 million a year are being killed for Ijayas. So maybe you've Donkey got 15, million, is yeah, 15 years. Yeah, before they're all gone. So, so really what happens is these guys come in and they try to set up a legal factory if they can. They tried it in Zimbabwe and Zimbabwe is now closed because they realized that what was happening was that the Chinese would go into the rural areas and offer some money for a donkey which is way above what they're used to getting but so they'll take maybe a hundred dollars for a donkey and be thrilled to get the money and then only wake up in a couple of days time to realize now there's no way to get water from the streams so what really happens to women is they become donkeys because what the donkeys used to do, the women now do. Go, mm. go get the firewood, go get the water from the streams. Okay, and then so what happens in scenarios like that is the children no longer have donkeys to take them to school. So they're press ganged into forced labor, as are the women, because there are no donkeys to pull the carts. It's just, it's, it's, that, it's that simple and that's stark. But the people often don't realize it until it's too late. And then... The experience in Zimbabwe, this is particularly true of Zimbabwe, where when the villagers wouldn't sell them their donkeys, they simply stole them. They enlisted local people who were short on morals, and they stole the donkeys. And once they then herded and killed, Zimbabwe woke up very fast. And with some pressure from us and local organizations, they banned donkey skin trade. So we've got it banned in Kenya, Tanzania, and Zimbabwe. It's still legal in South Africa, but it's a gray area because only so many donkeys are allowed to be exported each year. But we've got documentary proof. In fact, we know exactly what happens is that the Chinese will say something like, We'll set up a breeding station. We want these donkeys on auction for breeding. Really, they want to kill them. 
So they'll buy them, and then because they can't kill them in a slaughterhouse, they'll lead them into the bush, and they'll be hacked to death with hammers or axes. And there's video of this and pictures. This is not exaggeration. This is what really happens pretty much every day somewhere in South Africa. And then the skins are salted and, and get sold onto the middlemen and on their way to China. It's a massive catastrophe. Right now I'm working on it in Mali. Mali is a nightmare to work in because the country's at massive instability and we can't go there. It's too dangerous. They are kidnapping foreigners and if they don't come up with a ransom, then they're beheaded. And no one's going to pay a ransom for me. So, <laughs> so I, don't, I don't want to see my head. I don't want the last thing I ever see is my head rolling down a dirt street in Mali. Thank you. But we can't <laughs> go there. So we're working through local people. But the cruelty involved there is unbelievable. They just, they just don't seem to factor in that these creatures feel pain. And I think that that perhaps is partially true, that a lot of rural people in Africa don't see animals in the same way that Westerners see mm. animals. And they really don't get that these are sentient creatures who feel pain and suffering. And that's particularly true of donkeys because they're so stoic. Mm. You know, I, I've, be, I've, been, I've seen them waiting in line to be butchered, just quietly waiting. It's very sad. But not only is it sad, it's terribly cruel. It's detrimental to the human population. And it could mean that our kids never know what a donkey is, except from Winnie the Pooh stories, where Eeyore the donkey will live on. But in the real world, if this carries on, then there won't be any donkeys. And we do our best to fight that. And we are, I have to say, making good progress. It's funny, I mean, that whole thing about they might not know what donkeys are, because I remember like, when I was 12 years old watching a movie that they had at the school where they were talking about the extinction of elephants. And it was the whole thing, I mean, like you're 12 years old and you're thinking, oh my goodness, there might be only elephants around for about another four or five years. But at that stage, there were very few people who were doing anything to save elephants. And, and it was quite a scary thing at that age. One wouldn't have thought that about the big five, for instance, or the animals which are kind of always in the news. But one would never have thought that about donkeys, of all things. It would be like saying, oh, all the cows are going to suddenly disappear one day, you know. <laughs> I find it absolutely horrifying. But, I mean, it's animals, it's animals all over Africa that are having this issue. And we're not talking about just the, the more rare ones. What, what are some of the other animals that you've found apart from the donkeys and dogs and cats? I mean, sure. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm absolutely gobsmacked by this. Well, if we put our, if I put my other hat on and now become executive director for Animal Survival International, I've got to tell you that what's happening to pangolins, I mean, I, had, I barely knew what a pangolin was a few years ago. Mm. I knew it was a scaly anteater. I'd never seen one and had pretty much, they were just there in the bush. Do you know that they are now the most trafficked animal in the world? And once again, it's people in Asia that want these pangolins, mostly in Vietnam and China. But I, it's almost incredible to me that these 
scaly anteaters, pangolins, which exist all over Africa, are now in danger of extinction within decades, within decades, because the Chinese want them. And do you know what they want them for? They're used in hangover cures. Pangolins. Have they, they not heard of a Bloody the... Mary? <laughs> <laughs> not funny for the pangolins, I tell you, man. The pangolins, what they do is they, they take, they rip all the scales out, they descale the pangolin. And usually then the pangolin is sold for a restaurant where they're often cooked alive because, in, particularly in Vietnam and China, uh, they literally descale them while they're still alive and drop them into boiling water. This too, the most inoffensive animal that you could ever possibly imagine. It's nocturnal, shy, quiet, and eats termites. It's a good animal. Won't be around much longer. But in what they do with the scales is they crush them, grind them into powder, and sell it as hangover cures. That's really what they want pangolin scales for. There are some medicinal uses that the Chinese, they are an ingredient in, in some Chinese medicines of no proven use whatsoever. Let's make that point again. Just because the Chinese say we use this in Chinese medicine doesn't make it right to use an endangered species in your medicine, which doesn't work anyway, which is a point that's often overlooked. Just because you say it's a traditional medicine doesn't mean to say it works. But how can it be a, a traditional medicine if pangolins are from Africa and the Chinese they're, are they're not? They're all over the world. You oh, can get they? them in Asia as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They are in such terrible danger. And there are syndicates. You get two kinds of pangolin poachers. You get the rural guy who stumbles across one in the bush. And that's unusual because they are nocturnal, but stumbles with, and sells it on the local market as food, really. Doesn't, probably doesn't even know what's going to happen to that animal. But by far the larger group are sophisticated syndicates who come to Africa or, or throughout Asia hunting pangolins, suborning local people to kill them, uh, organizing hunts, taking them illegally out of the countries that they're caught and sent back to China. And one of the common threads of this is that they absolutely pay no attention to the rules. You, you know, CITES, the Convention of Trade in Endangered Species, is supposed to regulate the trade in wildlife. They're very inefficient and very corrupt, and they don't do a, a good job at all. But what is equally true is that the Chinese sneer and laugh at the rules. They just suborn the, the local people. When we were fighting, now I've switched back to Network for Animals. I hope you can sort this out. When we were... <laughs> When we were fighting the donkey skin trade in Tanzania, we sent a team in and the Chinese were literally coming up to our team and offering them money to go away. A hundred dollars here, two hundred dollars with promises to put money into their bank accounts if they went away. 
there was no doubt that certain officials had been bribed to let the slaughterhouse in Chiananga, which is where it was cited, to operate even though it was an open secret that they were killing tens of thousands of donkeys, not hundreds. Um, incidentally, just to show you how cynical it is, the Chinese chose the most remote part of Tanzania to set up a donkey skin slaughterhouse. So it wouldn't be on anybody's radar. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be seen. You know, you can get there by road after a day or two days, or you fly in on an expensive charter. You, it's very hard to monitor that. So now you're a Chinese cook wanting donkey skins. You suborn the local people by dishing out a few hundred dollars. You do what you like in the wilderness where nobody's going to see. And this went on for a couple of years before we finally managed to get it closed down. And what about with the Animal Survival International? It's not just about South Africa. I mean, not South Africa, Africa itself. I know that you've also done work with various animals on other continents as well, raising money for them. How do you go about this? What other animals have there been and what have you had the most response from? That's the one that's always interested me because... I used to walk around and see people who were raising money for the rhinos and then there'd be somebody sitting at a table trying to raise money for children and of course the rhinos would get most of the money. So, <laughs> you know, do humans, well, I, I know the humans I know care a lot about animals, but what do you find that really gets to people the most? Okay, well, let me, first of all, between ASI and NFA, we've got, I think, 26 projects in 20 countries that are continually ongoing everything from building dog shelters in Bosnia-Herzegovina to helping wildlife in Addo. We fight the illegal horse fighting in the Philippines. We're omnipresent, really, for the cause of street dogs in countries as diverse as Uruguay and Greece. We work all over the world. The most interesting thing for me is the Animal Survival International People care about elephants. It's a very interesting that we get the biggest response to our pleas for help if there's something that we can practically do to help elephants. And this year, it was because Addo's going through an unprecedented drought. It's the worst drought in 93 years. And animals, not just elephants, but animals in general are dying like flies from thirst. So this year we managed to repair four existing boreholes which were no longer functioning. They hadn't been needed or there was no budget for it, but now it became critical. And it's been a remarkable success story. And our supporters paid for that, um, all four, and they're working very well. So they, they respond to hands-on helping animals. We've got lots of projects with elephants, and one of them you might find interesting because in the previous centuries, Addo was a hunting concession, and people used to go there to kill elephants. And as a result of that, the gene for tusks was no longer dominant. So many, the majority, I would say, of elephants in Addo either don't have tusks or they have very small tusks. 
Now, tusks are vital for elephants because they use them for digging. They use them for tearing down trees. They're an important signal of an attractive elephant to a female elephant, and they're used in combat. They are vital. So we've got a plan in partnership with the Addo National Park to bring big tusked elephants from the north of South Africa and introduce them into Addo to reintroduce the tusk, the gene for tusks. That's a great project, but it's not an easy project because we moved our first elephant a couple of years ago. His name was Tembi, and he was an instant success with the ladies at Addo, but it was to his detriment in the end because while he was busy servicing one, and jealous male gored him in an inconvenient place, and poor bugger died. Oh, no, uh, shame, man. <laughs> it's sad. It's sad. But poor Tembi, we hope that before his demise that he propagated widely. And we're, we feel that that's really important. And also, critically, for elephants, habitat is the thing. Their habitat's being wiped out and what the poachers don't do, humanity's doing by wiping out their territory. So we're, we've introduced elephants to an area in the north of Addo where there hadn't been elephants for 100 years. It was just the most amazing thing. We, we, we managed to relocate a 24-strong family there, and they were let loose, and it's dense bush there, which is great. Hard to find elephants. Not nice for tourism, but great if you're trying to stop poachers. It's more than a year, and a couple of calves have been born, and they're thriving, and no fatalities. So that's fantastic. Give me money to do that every day. Please, people, you know, because <laughs> that's so important. But, but it is the bigger animals that seem to kind of capture the people's imaginations. I mean, if you turn around and say, what was the one with the, the, the blue butterfly down near Neisner that has, had, they eventually did find a breeding pair somewhere? I mean, it's those small little things which I take kind of interest in as well, because that was the last lot. I mean, we think, oh, the dodo is extinct. Oh, the elephants are going to become extinct. But there's how many different animals are going extinct or plant species even for that matter just because of humans and there's well I, I, i'm just going to say stupidity there is no other word for it really but the one that gets to people i think especially here in south africa of course is the rhino and you have been doing work with that it's interesting earlier in our conversation you mentioned that if there was a stall raising money for rhinos and raising money for children the stall for the rhinos would get more attention. And I think that there, there was a lot of truth in that. About 10 years ago, there was a, a, a figure floating around that some $80 million had been raised in over a period of a year by the big organizations to help rhinos. But then I think you got donor fatigue because rhinos are being wiped out at an astounding rate, right now, we have four orphaned baby rhinos whose mothers were poached in one week up in Mpumalanga. We know of 28 rhinos killed in the last month. They are being wiped out 
mercilessly. Once again, it's the Chinese, the, the middlemen that do this. It is the Chinese. I'm not branding an entire nation of Chinese people as wicked or evil or sinful because I know China, I visit China. Young Chinese people would not agree with what their elders seem to be doing. It's a, it looks like a generational thing, which does give hope for the future. But it is a reality that the Chinese are here masterminding the killing of our animals. It's simply the reality. It's simply the truth. So what can we do about that? Well, you know, it's enormously difficult. You've got to f focus on anti-poaching. And then you run into all sorts of gray areas because what's the story? You go into the Kruger Park, the poachers are armed and you're armed. You're not supposed to harm them unless they fire on you and then only in self-defense. So if you follow the letter of the law, you're starting from a handicap. And then anti-poaching depends on the integrity of the people. And while it's undoubted that the vast majority of the anti-poaching units are run by good, skilled, well-meaning and, and hard-working and brave people, there seems to be a hell of a lot of baddies somewhere in that mix who will take money for giving a tip-off or, or pointing to where they think rhinos may be. And to put that in context, and my figures are, are slightly out of date because I haven't done the research recently, but about five years ago, if you were a humble rural person who carried water for the poachers as they went on an incursion into the Kruger, you would be paid 50,000 rand. Now, if you take that and you put it up to what you get for a tusk of ivory, you can see that this is a very lucrative business. So the, there's an economic imperative for people to betray the anti-poaching units or to actually take part in poaching. And it, truthfully, all we can do is we can care for the orphan babies as much as we possibly can. And that really, with each passing day, is more critical. Those four baby rhinos that our partner Care for Wild has under heavy guard are literally critical to the species survival. There's one black rhino and three white. It's the black one that is so vitally important. But even in armed, guarded sanctuary, those rhinos, those baby rhinos, are not safe from poachers. They're protected all the time. And let me tell you, the poachers will quite happily go in and massacre a whole group of people for those rhino horns. It happens in Kenya not irregularly. And I think it's, we've had fatalities in South Africa as well. Mm. It's we're all aware of what is happening. And, and I think that anybody who has any feeling for animals whatsoever is definitely thinking, what can I do to help? And I know that you do put out worldwide pleas to 
people to support the various things. I know you've done stuff for, for polar bears, um, not just the pangolins and rhinos and elephants here in South Africa, but other smaller animals as well around the place that are needing habitat change um, throughout Africa as well. So, so where can people find out more about the organizations and how can they get involved? Our websites are a good place to start because they'll give you a good heads up of what we do and our contact details. And our team's always available. One is Network for Animals, www.networkforanimals.org, networkforanimals.org. The other one is animalsurvival.org. But, you know, you mentioned the smaller creatures that people sometimes would never think of being in trouble. So I'm going to tell you a sad story about frogs. I'll tell you two sad stories quickly. In Turkey, the Anatolian water frog has one great flaw. It's edible. And it's the biggest source of frog's legs in the world. Green wheel, yeah. Yeah, and nobody knows how many Anatolian water frogs there are because no research has ever been done. Nobody knows if this year's frog harvest will be the last. So we can't tell the Turkish government hey, guys, stop killing your frogs because it's, you're, they're going to be wiped out. They'll just say, show us the proof. So right now, we've got a team of scientists in Turkey going into the field, trying to monitor frogs to see where they breed, what, what, what numbers there are. We, we can't do anything until we've got that information. Mm. We need more data. But I tell you a truly disgraceful thing in Cape Town, in good old Cape Town, there's a, there's a species of, of toad called the Western Leopard Toads. They live in Nordhook, basically. Nordhook, for those of you who are not South African, for those of you unfortunate enough not to be South African, they're tiny and they mean no harm to anybody. They, Nordhook is a horsey, semi-rural area and the people generally there are pretty good about the environment it's pretty good but the city of cape town wants to bulldoze a road right through one of the last breeding ponds for these critically endangered western leopard toads and one would think that in cape town where we try to pride ourselves on being a little bit more environmentally aware than some other places the, the city of Cape Town has just done it. And now we're in court. We're financing court action by an organization called NIAG, the Nordhook Environmental Action Group, who are taking the city of Cape Town to court to say you can't destroy the last breeding habitat. Mm. And we have this ludicrous situation where our leaders, province and city, are saying it's fine. Let's Let's wipe out the Western leopard toads. I mean, what a road there. It's just, to me, I sometimes wake up in the morning and put my head in my hands and say, what is wrong with these people? How could they do that? How can they not realize that having an endangered species survive is worth the trouble of rerouting a road? Come on, guys. That's, I think, the, the real thing have something like that happen in every single place 
Move the roads. It is so easy. As sentient human beings who are supposedly intelligent, why does everybody have to act like such stupid things? <laughs> Animals are a lot more clever, quite frankly. All right, so that's how people can actually get involved. Even here in South Africa, I think we should make it a, a big thing and say, right, let's all go and protest. We're all protesting about um, the blasting, the seismic blasting which is happening. So let's go for something that we can actually really handle because it's an internal dispute, not something which is the rest of the world. I, I must just chip in on that, on that shell issue. Mm. What I find contemptible about Shell's attitude is they're not denying that this blasting of the seabed off the wild coast is going to have terribly negative effects on sea life. They're just saying, look, the law says we can do it. We'll try our best not to, to do much damage. But basically, we're resting on the fact that the law, your own government, lets us do it. Yeah. And that's where my, my whole big thing has been is the government should have actually just turned around and said right in the very beginning, sorry, you know, this is going to be detrimental to our, our country and to our environment. And frankly, I think that the COP26 countries who decided that they were going to be giving billions to the South African government to get them off fossil fuels and coal should now rescind that agreement and say we're not giving you those billions because you're not actually playing the game because you're already now looking for fossil fuels. That's all. That, that's my point of view anyway. So I'm going to start a petition and I want everybody to join me so we can do something about that as well. <laughs> it's, the, the environment is all we have going for us in the future. What are we leaving for our kids? What are we leaving for the rest of humankind, for animal kind, if we don't actually turn around and say enough is enough? All right, David Barrett, thank you so much for sharing with us what is going on and, and thank you for the very good work that you do. So those websites again are animalsurvival.org and networkforanimals.org. So please do go along, have a look at those and see what you can do to help. I mean, if you, if you do have a conscience, get out there and do something with it. David, just don't hesitate to shout whenever you need anything from us up here in the Johannesburg side of the world. We'll even come down and help you protest the road down in the Cape. How's that? Well, Melanie, what you're doing is invaluable because the most important thing is to spread public awareness like, as we said earlier in the conversation, people didn't know that donkeys were being exterminated for a useless cosmetic. Just letting people know the reality is a major service. And thank you for doing that. All right. And we will catch up with you again. Just keep us in touch of what you're doing and how we can help as well. And we will let the rest of the, the whole world, because we can go anywhere we want to these days. Isn't technology fantastic? Thank you very much. And for the rest of you, of course, please do get out there. Enjoy the summer weather we're having here in Southern Africa. Have a look and see what you can do, how you can be a little bit more thoughtful towards your garden. Don't squash that lizard definitely get on board with uh, saving all the other animals and above all stay grounded bye-bye bye you've been listening to another episode of grounded from solid gold studios in johannesburg for more green ideas and events pop along to mel's treasures on facebook